On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses 1980. Hi, and welcome <laughs> to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter, Ken Gregory, and Tom Corcoran as we discuss, perhaps, the four best prog albums of 1980. All right, gentlemen. Welcome to another Sunday evening social distancing COVID-19 pandemic edition of Progressive Palaver. Um, Hope all you guys are staying safe in your locales. Don't know how it is where you guys are, but I do know that apparently here in Texas, the pandemic ended on Friday and you know, everyone apparently was let loose. So, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I say that with my tongue in my cheek, not everyone was let loose, but there was, uh, there were a lot more people out and about on Friday than I have seen since the start wow. of this whole thing. So, and I was, Godspeed, I was, Texans. I was, I was driving around today. A friend of mine and I had an, an errand that we had to run and we drove by this place and in a parking lot of a, like a, a smallish shopping center, there, there was like this little food truck convention going on. And there were just hordes of people there. And we're, we just drove by like, what's wrong with you folks? Excuse me, Thor. <laughs> so, you know, but who knows? Um, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, anyway, I hope you guys are, are, are safe and you obviously all seem to be very well. So Joe, I hope you don't mind me saying it, it seems that, you know, at whatever level Texas has reopened it, it, it appears as though the barbershops have not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I think, I think my barbershop reopens tomorrow. I need to check my email and, and call them and see what the rules of engagement are. As okay. bad as I look, you should see my sons. Yeesh. Mm. Well, I have a good idea how that could look. Mm. I'm going full Stephen Wilson. You nice. are going full Stephen Wilson. You know, if if honestly, if the barbershops hadn't opened, I was very close to getting rid of the beard and going for the complete buzz cut again, like I used to do back in the day wow. when I was married. That would be a stark contrast. It really would be. But, you know. I, it is a delightful way to go, though, I got to tell you. Um, I mean, I got the beard now, but yeah, I don't have trouble missing my cuts because, you know, I just do them. Yeah. You know, whenever I damn well please. Cool. So here we are. And as we have introduced in other of these bonus episodes in this sort of series, you know, we try to, to just get together for a relatively short time on a Sunday evening if, if we're available and discuss something maybe a little bit off the the main and usual topic. So, you know, we've we've done a couple of force ranking episodes at this point, but this 
particular episode. And we've always, you know, we, we've been bouncing around ideas about different things we can do because we didn't want it just to be force ranking stuff. And there's, I mean, it's it's limitless what we can do. But for this episode, Paul, you, you had a, a plan, a proposal for the, the group. Perhaps you'd like to explain it. I did. Well, I think I was thinking about this in one of uh, the, one of the times we were going through a segment, whether it was Genesis or Yes or Rush, it had occurred to me that there are three, at least three phenomenal albums that come out in 1980 along the progressive rock timeline. That being Drama, Permanent Waves, and Duke. And I always thought it would be fun to revisit 1980 and and think about you know consider those those albums. And then I took a list, a, a run through the list, and I saw Peter Gabriel three, which is also an epic album. And I thought we should we should group and talk about 1980, what that year was like with these four particular albums. And I have no idea how we should go about doing it. But. <laughs> well, allow me to offer somewhat of a chronological view just to get us started. The 80s are very interesting with um, permanent waves leading the pack, starting off in January, Genesis Duke, March, Peter Gabriel three in May, and finally, last but not least, yes, with drama in August. That's terrific spacing. I mean, what a year, wow couple of things that that i have for this because i like i said i was looking at the the timeline for progressive rock for 1980 which i normally don't do i normally leave that for the uh for ken in the research department but i did one thing that really leapt out well there are two things that leapt out of me one mike rutherford's solo album small creep day came out before duke and kansas audio visions is somewhere in the latter part of 1980. Now, it, it's amazing to me because here we're at this, you know, we're at this sort of cusp, right, where progressive rock as it was was sort of dying off, um, but some of these bands are about to really launch into commercial success like they've never experienced before. And, and, Audio Visions was the last gasp of, of Kansas in its original form with Steve Walsh. And by all accounts, if you look at uh, Left Overture into Point of No Return, and, and, and I forget if, if there was another one in between there and, and Audio Visions or not, by all accounts, Kansas probably should have been on the same trajectory. And yet... You know, I, I can tell you, and, and, you know, we haven't come close to talking about Kansas. My guess is you guys don't know anything about Audiovisions, but I can tell you that Audiovisions isn't in the same league as these other four albums that we're considering. And it just, it's, I find it, I, I just, I found it to be interesting to contemplate the different trajectories of these, of these bands at this point. And it seems... A little sad to me that that happened to Kansas, but you know, Kansas actually did get John Elefante, and by all accounts, had a and we'll have to see how successful, but a successful um, first album with him. In um, gosh, I forget what the name of that album was, but 
um, the the first one with him, the one with the uh, the chair and the in the light. So you know, it just it's it, I just that was sort of that popped into my head. While you're offering a glimpse into Kansas, there are other bands that we could point out during this year who are close to the top four that we picked. Alan Parsons Project with a turn of a friendly card had monstrous radio play with games people play. Yes. That was etched into my brain as a, as a youth. True. And yeah, and time hit the adult contemporary uh, pretty heavily. Time keeps flowing like a river. And the epic 16-minute turn of a friendly card is borderline prog. It just didn't penetrate us the way the other bands did. Well, maybe by 2026, when we've run out of like the core albums to talk about, we'll get to the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> That's great, because I remember games people play, because... I'm pretty sure at this at this age, I was still consuming all music from this this tiny little brown like clock radio that I had, and it was a yep. clock radio with like a like a dial like a you know an, a, analog a clock. face and and hands. It was a real clock, yes, analog. Thank you. That's what you called them. <laughs> <laughs> and my, it didn't my- even have. Didn't have buttons. It had a little little dial that you would pull and you'd set. And you'd had that little yep. tiny hand that went around to set the alarm and everything like that. But it was like it was the coolest thing because you could actually wake up to music, right? Mm-hmm. And I would have it set to like whatever the radio station ninety like ninety eight hits or something like that. Hot hits, you know, where they would all be like hot hits ninety eight, you know, <laughs> and and ah! um, but they would play. They would play games people play, and, but I had no idea who you know Alan the Parsons Project. It was just another band on the radio, and this was all pre Jesse's Girl, which was sort of my thrusting into popular music. Like Jesse's Girl, that song is what made me actually want to buy a cassette and something to play a cassette in, which was like my mom's old tape recorder. Very so. interesting use of uh, you know, the word thrust in relation to <laughs> Rick Springfield and Jesse's girl. <laughs> wow. Complete non sequitur. I just found it funny when we're talking about analog clocks. My boys can identify a luxury vehicle if it has an analog clock in it. That is the sign of a true top tier vehicle to my kids Impressive. interesting uh, that's something to be there's something to be, something to be said for that for sure so another- and when we were 10 when we were 10 the true sign of a luxury vehicle was a digital, was a digital clock <laughs> <laughs> oh how times have changed ken was there was there any other bands uh sort of on the doorstep in in 1980 that you wanted to include beyond the alan parsons project well forgive me I believe all this time I've been leaving out a watershed moment. In February of 1981, Jesse's Girl was released on the album Working Last Dog. <laughs> we'll have to go and back. And then everything changed. Everything, everything changed. <laughs> so two more points I'd like to make. Paul, if, if I may, I would, I would like to re- remind the group of your original proposal. In 1980, we consider Rush, Permanent Waves, Genesis, Duke, Yes, Drama, Peter Gabriel, Three. Is there a winner? Does one stand the test of time better? Could we survive on an island with just these four albums and a can of Spam? I like it. 
I forgot I texted all of that. Yes, wow. you did. That's, I'm glad you reminded us. <laughs> and one other thing that I'd like to throw on the table. We can play a little game right out of Ooh. the gate. <laughs> In the revised and updated edition of 1001 Albums, You Must Hear Before You Die... Only one of these four albums appears in this book. Gentlemen, wow. which album is it? Wow. I it's gotta be Duke. Gotta be Duke. I I, I think it's Peter Gabriel three. Likewise, Tom, I'm with you. I, I, I think it's just too um, seminal for a cultural fit it's just uh yeah it's 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 gotta be it is in fact peter gabriel three wow yes (laughs) that's impressive (laughs) all those all those playings have turned it on again and all those years i figured i figured would sure permeated into the top 1001 albums now i haven't i haven't actually read the blurb but i'm going to guess based on the nature of this particular book that the mere fact that Peter Gabriel three is credited as the birth of the gated snare sound almost has to explain why it's on here, but I'm going to go peruse it very quickly and, and see um, if in fact, that's what it says. While you're looking, I got to tell you, it may be the best gated snare sound of all time too. Like, it's not too much. It's not too heavy. It's not too. It's it, and it. You can listen to the whole song. It never annoys you. It's it's amazing what happened to that gated snare sound over over time. It says nothing about the gated snare. There is a very interesting sentence though. Consistently edgy and impassioned, melt is a perfectly produced collage of warped sonic landscapes, befitting Gabriel's sparse insular lyrics of alienation, paranoia, and identity. Indeed, so astonishing was Melt that in the United States, Atlantic dumped Gabriel after executives failed to persuade him to make it, quote, sound like the Doobie Brothers, end quote. Wow. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, so- Gabriel started out trying to be the Bee Gees, and then he's... Wow, slighted for not being the the, the Doobie Brothers. That's, that's it. <laughs> well, this is really interesting because when I first read Paul's text, I'm going through the four albums, and uh, Peter Gabriel Three is is always been one of my favorites. But I was thinking about the three albums, the other three albums that that we talked about, and there was a couple of common denominators with those three, and uh, some of those were that. With, with drama and, and and Duke especially, and well, okay, and Permanent Waves, there was a real crossover in those three albums between the sort of prog and the direction after their sort of prog era. And we, we it's it's interesting because I remember we talked about this in those episodes. Um, especially, well, I wasn't a part of the Duke episode, but you know, I, I, I listened to what you guys had to say, and you guys nailed it on that. You guys talked about um, the 
how it was somewhat controversial. You know, a lot of people didn't didn't like the the mix. Uh, and you you three loved it, um, but it was definitely there, there was definitely some controversy between the 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 longer songs and the proggy stuff, and then the 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 the, the newer sound. And I know when we talked about permanent waves, we talked about how there was almost a split between the two. I mean, you have Jacob's Ladder, and then you have Natural Science. These are these are longer songs, and then they're 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 literally thrown in there with you know four four or five minute songs, and um, these are none of the bands that we talked about are are super super trying to be. To, to get more people to you know to to listen to them, I mean, they're they're always doing what they believe in. They're always doing what they're what is true to themselves. But it seems like there was sort of a little push on those three albums to sort of get to the next phase because they were had been accused in various magazines as sort of being like dinosaurs. I know uh, Yes had, had had gone through a period where they were getting some criticism that. You know they weren't relevant because they weren't sort of changing, and I don't. Who knows if they were really going after that actively? But you know, drama sort of has pieces of that, um, especially in the lineup now with, that we have with 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 drama, uh, and and where the where the new lineup came from, uh, and there was there was definitely these three albums crystal clear as far as I see them. There is. Uh, a, a real crossover and with Peter Gabriel three, he almost hopped over that. And he <laughs> like, he, he, when I hear Peter Gabriel three, if I didn't know any better and you said, Oh, Peter Gabriel three came out in 1989. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, there was, he, after leaving Genesis, you know, he, he, he just sort of did his own thing and he didn't really have, Hit, um, hit the rear view mirror to, to look at like when if, if, if you're in a long-standing band and he was sort of able to do what he wanted to do with in like in like a brand new car <laughs> and uh, so there's a, a new sound to, to Peter Gabriel 3 that really is ahead of its time and I I will say in an in an 80 sort of way it is it is timeless as opposed to when I, when I hear permanent waves you can definitely hear that that place in time. You can definitely hear, okay, this is the prog sound. This is the newer sound, and it's coming together. And then, in in the other albums, you know, you can and and we've done this in those episodes, and we we sort of um, at, at at the time we 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 talked about this, but I found it interesting, Joe, when you're talking about that label didn't want to, you know, want it to be like a Doobie Brothers. I mean, they were just completely off base on that. Um, and it, it's funny that someone's interpretation of what a, a band or artist should be is just completely off, off base. And when you listen to Peter Gabriel 3, I mean, this is an album that, you know, really defined the 80s there wasn't any mega hit per se although there you know were some popular songs but he really jumped into an area where with with the gated snare uh things like that 
where people followed him immediately. And I almost think that with the other three albums, although they're incredible and they're, you know, I permanent ways is still one of my favorite albums. Um, they were still sort of figuring out what they were doing and they were sort of like sort of in that, in that discovery period. Uh, so I, I find that um, your what you just read, Joe uh, is very interesting because Peter Gabriel sort of deserves the sort of kudos um, on, on, on a different level of, of, of being ahead of its time. I find what, what you just described to be incredibly interesting, Tom. Now, as you're describing it, are you talking about within a continuum of sound or are you talking about these albums lifted out of context and whether you could date them by where they are? Well, it just so happens, and actually this is probably more a question for Paul because, uh, Paul, you, you sort of brought up 1980 and these, and these four albums. So, I mean, maybe you had this in mind, but as I see it, what I, how I find this so interesting is that 1980 uh, is uh, a pivotal moment for these three prog bands. And they are, these are the albums where they really, you can, you can see that, that crossover. And so I don't know if that answers your question, Joe, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that it just, it, it just hit me that, that 1980 uh, and with, with, with these three <clears throat> albums, as far as the three that aren't the Peter Gabriel albums, those, this is the time that, things changed and i know you know we could really go into the whole breakdown of rush and the different you know style the different eras and and all that i mean we've kind of already done that but in in a nutshell this is huge for 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 prog and and this you know 1980 it, and i find in general it's so it's so strange Maybe strange is, is not the, the, the right word, but I find it incredibly interesting. Every decade has its own sound. Of course, now everything sort of just like sounds like mush. But, you know, 60s had its own sound, 70s, 80s, 90s. They all, and right at the turn of that decade, it was like, bang, okay, this is a different sound. Uh, you know, Prague sort of had its own place. A prog sort of like floats around a little bit more than the, the typical delineation of the decades. But uh, as it turns out, like 1980, boom, the turn of the decade, we have three albums that definitely are turning direction, definitely changing direction. And uh, that was, you know, big as far as these, these bands that we listen to. And, and I agree with you 100%. These are, and, and as I listened to these four albums in preparation for this, you know, and, and these are albums that either we've already considered or, or have not even gotten to yet. And, and so I haven't listened to them for probably since we did them. And, and while, you know, intellectually, you know, these band, these albums are great, when you put them on for this, and, and having, you know, not listened to them for a while and being so deep into Pink Floyd, it's like, holy shit, these things are freaking awesome. So I agree with you 100%. However, the reason why I was really asking the question is when Paul originally suggested this, and the first 
the second question he says is, does one stand the test of time better? As soon as I started contemplating that question, before I even put the these records on, I immediately said, and keep in mind, I, I appreciate that all of these are brilliant records, and while Peter Gabriel 3 is a game changer, it, to me, was very dated in terms of how it sounds. And as much as I hate to admit it, I think Duke falls into that same category. There are some some very similar trends between those two albums in, in regards to the... And, and I made the point in the Duke episode, certainly one of the, the big sort of, of keys, pun intended, that, that tie those together is that electric uh, piano, that, that Yamaha piano, that actually came to define a lot of prog in this in this era. And yes, while drama is probably as timeless a production as Yes ever does, the very... Oh, I like that you say that. Good. The, the very nature of, of Steve Howe is always going to set Yes apart sonically, I think. Um, it, that's that's my opinion. So my first blush at this was based on things like the spirit of radio and entree new and free will that we know so well that it, it, in answer to that question, I was going to say that uh, that that permanent waves um, maybe is is less impacted in sort of a timestamp way. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not sold to that idea. These are interesting. Correct. These are interesting points because, Tom, I I agree with with you around the transitional nature, and I had never even considered that. Like I just I love Permanent Waves. I love Duke. Love drama. I always wanted to like just face them off and and do it. So I never even thought of it. But but you're right. Like Rush was coming out of Hemispheres. It was like the hardest album they ever had. They took eight weeks off, which was like the longest they'd ever not done anything. <laughs> And then they, they came back and they tried to do something new. Duke Genesis was, you know, their first, well, I guess their second album is a three piece, but they had just, you know, come off a tour. So they were kind of, you know, doing, doing new things. And, um, you know, and yes, half of yes was the buggles. So, so, uh, I, I really like how you, you point that out. Like Peter Gabriel is kind of on a, a little bit more of a directional or more of an arc than maybe, you know, these, the other, the other bands are. But here's something interesting about Peter Gabriel for me. I got into Peter Gabriel, um, obviously with the So album, and and I got actually I think I I think I listened to the So album from my sister, and then I got Peter Gabriel plays live because I had actually seen him in concert right after that. So I have a tough time even knowing what songs are on which. So even when I was like, let's listen to Peter Gabriel three, I was like, hmm, I wonder which which one that is. Um, because I was just always into Peter Gabriel plays live. And, and so I was kind of struck exactly the, what you two were saying, how it really sounds amazing and it sounds so different from the other three. And yet somehow, Joe, I agree with you. It's kind of dated. It kind of, it, it, it kind of feels like early eighties, but, but there is the electric piano that he uses is you know is what he uses in red rain i mean yeah. it's it's so there there's just a lot of great things going on it, it, uh, with with these records it's so funny to hear you say that paul because i remember your fixation on on plays live which you know 
and and the amazing thing for me is that Peter Gabriel three was my introduction to to Peter Gabriel. Somehow, my oldest brother Len had this record, and I think he was fixated on Biko. But for me, while Biko is is phenomenal, it was the rest of the album that just sucked me in immediately to the point where. It was probably not until after So came out, I think, that I probably heard all of Security front to back. I knew Shock the Monkey, but I didn't know anything else. Um, so it, it's it's funny how that happens. But yeah, it's and and this impact of of the buggles on on drama, right? Think of how catastrophically bad that could have been. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, for for a couple of different reasons, and I don't know that we covered this explicitly in, in the episode, but it, it occurred to me today as I was as I was refreshing my memory on this. Not only are are Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn as the Buggles coming into you know one of the the cornerstones of of progressive rock from a completely unrelated genre which is a big concern and they pull that off in a way that and and we talked about this you know they they inject just enough of that sort of techno new wave thing to make it interesting but not so much that it it overwhelms i mean and and jeff particularly i think really adapts his style and he has demonstrated this throughout his career jeff downs can be and play anything he wants to do. He is extraordinarily versatile. So in retrospect, you know, given what we know now, it's probably not that surprising. But perhaps the other thing about it is, and it must speak to the, the level of musicianship that Jeff and Trevor brought, because at this point, and we've, we ever, I've heard a lot of people say this, I say this, Alan White, Chris Squire, and Steve Howe were at absolutely peak performance as a trio um and when you listen to those three and the 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 things that they're playing and the way they're playing it on drama it is phenomenal and so for these two outsiders to be able to come in and integrate with that as well as they did absolutely stunning yeah i mean i, I can't imagine what the fans were going through like when they first heard that like to be a yes fan, um, a fervent yes fan, and then to first hear that those two are going to merge with yes. I mean, people probably lost their minds. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that, I mean, talk about controversial uh, moves in the, in the, in, in the industry, um, in, the, in the sort of music industry. I mean, that has, has got to have been, that has to be one of the the craziest things on paper. If you if you tell somebody what happened, um, if they don't know, and like you said, Joe, it it worked. So it, I mean, that is that is incredibly interesting. Uh, the last one of our last episodes, Ken was talking about the timeline of progressive rock, and he sent me on like a weeks long journey of listening to all of the albums that surrounded Animals, and amongst those were sticks thank you grand illusion and kansas point of no return i found the production of drama 
to be more alike to those two records than anything in the English progressive rock catalog in that in that time frame, which I found very interesting with the um, given all those things that you, that you said about the Buggles and, and Steve Howe, Joe. Yeah. Uh, just a quick aside here. Uh, Peter Gabriel was known for playing a CP80 electric piano. And likewise, Tony Banks was a big fan of the CP80. I'm going to write that down. I might want to dial that up to see if there's a CP80 plug in somewhere. <laughs> there you go. This, this, Maybe on eBay, too. The, uh, the, <laughs> the, the CP80 was, um, that's the, the introduction to cul-de-sac, as I recall, correct? Oh, so. sounds about uh, right. I see, mean, what's easier to find on eBay, a CP80 or Fly From Here <laughs> on vinyl, the original? Or an Echoplex. <laughs> I have nothing but tremendous love for all of these albums and, and for all the reasons that, that you guys have already pointed out. I mean, they're, it, it's just, they're so good. So, you know, is there a winner? I wouldn't want to pick one. I think we should. <laughs> okay. I, love I, it. I, I thought about this on my run and the fair outcome of this particular episode might be awarding each album honestly with what it did achieve so okay i i'm awarding drama with the only one that if i had to pick one and be stuck on a desert island it would be drama just because it has sheer depth and 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 i could just you know play along with those amazing rhythms uh for, for years and not get tired of those rhythms. It's peak Alan White. It's beautiful. So, and, 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 you know, production quality and, and ingenuity and creativeness, uh, drama excels in the ranks, but it doesn't speak for the entire prog genre. The others we can grant different awards to. You know, I love it, Ken. My reaction to that is that I don't know in the last, I don't know, 15 years that I've even listened to drama outside of listening to a bunch of Yes albums in a row, right? Like, I'm always listening to drama in the context of Yes. And so today, when I put it in after listening to a couple of these others, I'm I'm folding some laundry, and it, like, the the tightness of that of that some of those rhythmic passages literally stopped me in my tracks literally stopped me in my tracks it was awesome it should <laughs> i mean I, I mean truly the the bond between white and squire was, was just amazing and and even in the parts where chris wasn't inspired there's one tune where horn played bass and that was amazing too i mean they just they they were all so talented and so juiced up at that point so ken is that your number one or is that sort of like a special number one <laughs> I don't. well we clearly love all of these albums and, and i i'm i'm trying not to pick a favorite but I, i'm just you know i want to award drama for what it is i do like the idea of you know you know going highlander with this and like there can be only one you know <laughs> even though we love them all <laughs> yeah. all right fine drama wins end of episode <laughs> well, all right we're done all right so you guys gonna go uh promote I, I i suppose i gave my spiel i mean i mean 
Uh, Horn does wonderful vocals. The lyrics are complex and sometimes very fast and sometimes very creative. And uh, I spoke to the rhythm section. How is really on his game. And it just seems to be a perfect vehicle for Jeff Downs. We didn't know he had prog potential. And, you know, we've discussed that he's not Rick Wakeman or he's not Tony Banks, but he is himself and he is brilliant here. I mean, it's just it's just a win-win all around for drama. Nice. I Like I said, today I found drama to be arresting and, it's, and, and it just kind of like captivated me with, with all of that. I, I I will say that the 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 if there was if again caveat being that we love all of these if there was any sort of surprise today for me it was that in the context of these four how Duke kind of fell a little flat to me I I was really surprised as we were I was kind of you know getting through and I was like making some chicken soup and I was getting wings together and I was kind of like man is side one over yet this is crazy um so and then like and then like you know misunderstanding came on and I was like oh jesus so mm-hmm. so I was kind of I was kind of surprised about that the 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 strange thing was and I think this may have this may be part of the of the um plays live effect for me because I was so accustomed to, to those versions of the song. I, I was very struck tonight by, uh, by Peter Gabriel three, um, the way it sounded, the way it just took me in the way it really captured, uh, my imagination. I think it, it, it sort of arrested me a little bit more than, than drama did tonight, but I, you know, it, but it has been a really long time since, you know, family snapshot, uh you know rang through my ears i mean that that song is just i, I mean if we were going to pick the best song of all four albums and just note like pick one that would probably be the one that i would pick out of all four of these albums because i just love that song um uh but if i had to say that there was one of these records that just made me go fucking 1980 yeah man it was it was permanent waves end to end bit to bit first note to last note mm. just i think i think for me it's if there had to be a winner it's that one so we have one for drama one for permanent waves this is difficult i mean I, i'm not you know this is a, this is a lot of fun but it it is difficult i i have to go i think with peter gabriel 3 because it's funny, Paul, you mentioned earlier when you, you sort of got into Peter Gabriel with So, and a lot of times you didn't know which songs were on which albums, but you you, you knew you liked all the songs. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us are doing these this stupid little thing on Facebook where we've been nominated by so-and-so, and then we're picking our, our, our 10 favorite albums or whatever. Well, uh, a month ago... It seems like a year ago, but it was only a month ago. Somebody nominated me, and I put uh, this album on my top ten list. And I was saying to myself, I don't know if this album, standalone album, is deserves to be on this list. But Peter Gabriel has to be on in the top ten, and so it, w- it was very difficult. So I sort of took the 
the the best one that I thought you know at, at the time that, that 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 really inspired me, and 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 it was this one to be on the top ten, and so. Uh, you know, I find, and again, it goes back to my, my love for fish and, you know, who inspired fish is, you know, Peter Gabriel. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I've always been inspired by Peter Gabriel, um, a lot. And I, again, I don't know if it was any one particular album, but this album is paramount in the Peter Gabriel world. So I have to say, just for me personally, it would be Peter Gabriel 3, but Permanent Waves is a definite close second. And I want to say something real quick. I mean, you guys did turn me around to Duke a little bit. Like, I know I go and kind of go back and forth on these texts, and I like to talk shit. Uh, but I, I, when you guys were doing Duke, uh, the first couple times I listened to it, you know, I, I just really didn't didn't get it. Um, but I found myself going back to it more and more. I listened to your episode. I listened to the episode where you guys talked about it and I found myself keeping it in, you know, constant rotation and it, it really satisfied my, my need for, for good Genesis in a way, because it really, for the reasons I spoke about earlier, you know, it really gave me the best of, of both worlds and, you know, it, it, it really gave me you know, what I, what I look for in, in, in good music. Now there are a couple, you know, weak spots in there like anything else, but I have, I do have to say that that album Duke really has gone up the um, chain a bit. So uh, I say that, I say that I say Peter Gabriel and permanent waves, not because uh, drama and, and, and Duke are, are horrible albums. They're great, but uh, I, it just, my, my, what has inspired me over the years has has one of those things have, have, have been Peter Gabriel for sure. Tom, I'm glad that we have, we are slowly bringing you around to our way of thinking. I mean, it only <laughs> took 30 years and 300 hours of podcast content, but we're damn it. We're doing it. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I don't know that in terms of, uh, of achieving the end of, of the Highlander movie that we're making any progress here. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, and, 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 and I've, as stupid as it sounds, I've been anguishing over this all day because and you're now the tiebreaker. A lot of pressure here. So no, no I didn't want to paint this picture. Hold on, Joe. So you take out all your movie posters and you're looking at all your movie posters <laughs> and you're in anguish because you don't know which one of these albums is going to be on your, on your top list. I'm just like painting Joe's Sunday. It's it's great. It's great. This is <laughs> so. All right, go ahead. So, and I agree, Ken. Exactly. Um, if if you're stuck on a desert island and you only have to have one of these four, and you can't have all of them plus the can of spam, I recently saw a spam commercial, which I thought was very very interesting. Mm. I don't remember exactly where I saw that, but it's been a long time since I've seen a spam commercial. Because it's, it's they have plenty plenty of it at the grocery well, store. I'm sure, I'm sure they do. But <laughs> but if I, if I'm stuck there, right? There is so much rhythmically to sort of keep me engaged and to sort of challenge me on drama, right? It's just it's it's very obvious. I, I'm sorry. I'm imagining the advertising exec. Like, how? <laughs> I I can't. 
get any new accounts with this COVID shit going around. Like, what do the preppers really like? (laughs) (laughs) I think I could sell a spam ad. (laughs) I I think that by five o'clock, I can have an entire new client. Just gonna gonna go full hog on spam. This episode of Progressive Progressive Palaver brought to you by spam. (laughs) I understand and recognize exactly what you're saying with regards to drama. Tom, I recognize and acknowledge everything that you say around Peter Gabriel 3. For, because and, and I hadn't even necessarily thought it, but you expressed it for me in that Peter Gabriel 3 is the fulcrum point of, of Peter Gabriel's career. It's probably the most Peter Gabriel thing that you're going to get. And it's brilliant. Paul's family snapshot is great. Um, Biko is absolutely wonderful. Um, very moving, very uplifting. And, and I love this record. Thinking long-term, being stuck on an island, though, I'm afraid I may start to develop nightmares. So, because um, it is very dark and very creepy. Initially, my thought was, Permanent Waves, because again, Entree New is my favorite Rush song of all time. I just, there's something about that song. I'm not saying it's the best Rush song ever. I'm saying it's my favorite. It has always connected with me. Um, The Spirit of Radio, if you want to have fun, Spirit of Radio. And for for the semi-layman like myself, you know, part of the beauty of of permanent waves is you have you have a perfect example of of neil peart where you can hear everything he's doing and sort of pseudo convince yourself that you can air drum along with whatever he's doing but there's no fucking way um because as we we talked to rupert hine you know neil peart was not even particularly human apparently with regards to some of the things that he could do but it's 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 so wonderfully clear and you can follow along and then if you you know get tired of sort of beating yourself up mentally on the men- on the uh, on the island and you've got lots of time to kill you can then follow along with either getty or or alex and still have fun doing all those different <laughs> things right because again um it, it's a beautiful sort of amalgamation but they're they're very easy to sort of pick out and focus on which is good fun if you're trying to entertain yourself and you know initially and and I was sad when I had this first thought about Duke because much like you, Paul, it's like when you put Duke next to these other three albums, it's like eh, really maybe not. But wow. then I started thinking about the episode and and the parts of Duke that I love, and I think that I could entertain myself on a desert island for a very very long time with those parts of that album that move me so dramatically so Mm. i'm going to make this a hung jury and i'm going to go duke (laughs) i love it (laughs) there can be only four (laughs) (laughs) we we each have our own island (laughs) i love that Paul, where's the where's the force rank spreadsheet when we need it? <laughs> I know, I, I know. I actually, well, if this is going to be backwards, well, I can so, tell you. I'm so just what, keeping a list. What we of, need to everybody. do, and, and 
see, if we were going to get to the bottom of this, right, we would do the, we would each rank them, like, you know, top to bottom, but we would give different weightings to, like, you know, your number one would get eight points and your number two would get five points and, and like that. And so you'd add up and whoever had the highest number would then um, be declared the winner. We totally missed the boat on that. We should have totally done that. <laughs> we'll have to do that when we, when we revisit one of the other years that, uh, well, it's it, process do. improvement. We can, we can put that there you go. next time. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's just take it one s step further. So, so you're each being quarantined. Maybe you're on an island. Maybe you're not. You you are given these four records, a can of spam, and it's a it's a big can of spam. You're going to be eating spam the entire <laughs> the entire time you're there. Say you're going to be there. It's like it's like a TV show. You're going to be there for thirty days. Okay, you got thirty days of spam, and you got these four records. And now I am going to offer you a trade. Oh, one one of these albums. For a box of crackers to go with your spam, which which album do you give up for a box of crackers? I can tell you which two albums it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I am not giving you Duke, and I am not giving you Peter Gabriel three. Mm. Oh no! If I have to give you one, I'm going to give you Duke. I'm going to give you Permanent Waves. Oh. I think I'm going to trade in drama. Wow. Kenny G, you want to trade in Peter Gabriel 3 and make it another home <laughs> jury? <laughs> well, see, you know that lyrically in chords, you know, in some singing style, Peter Gabriel captivated me. It's undeniable. But in terms of the finished product, there are two or three tracks on here that I thought were just lesser versions of what had come previously on the album, you know? Uh, but then again, there are some cool ostinatos, some cool synth parts, uh, really awesome sounds from Tony Levin. Mm. <sighs> I'm going to miss it, but it's got to go. Peter Gabriel's going to go. Which are those three songs, Ken? Oh, okay. So as wonderful as Melt is, I noticed that not one of us didn't really work with me. Yep. And Lead a Normal Life didn't really work with me. And the only reason for years we didn't notice that is because Biko just resolves all sins. It's just like the amazing, <laughs> like religious experience you, oh we got Biko everything's good now but but those two in particular and I, I don't recall what it was that was potentially boring on side one but th th yeah those two in the middle of side two really don't meet the level of Games Without Frontiers or Family Snapshot or Intruder just mm. I don't remember it's amazing too so I would say there are at least two fill filler songs on Melt See, and, and, and if we, uh, yeah, I, natural science does that for me on permanent waves. I, I've never really connected with that. Even when I was listening to it yesterday and today, I was just like, as soon as it got there, I was like, what else can I listen to? 
Uh, it just it didn't engage me in any way, shape, or form. And at hmm. nine minutes and twenty seconds, it's probably about the same amount of time, you know, percentage of the album. So I, I get you. I feel you. Fascinating. Um, I have to throw in. We just lost percussionist Morris Pert, who makes a famous appearance on Peter Gabriel Three, along with oh. a large cast of characters. A <laughs> large cast of characters on Peter Gabriel Three. It's uh, it's like the All Star. And can we just mention for a fact that P- uh, Phil Collins is on two of these seminal albums in 1980? Mm. That's right. That's pretty influential. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't do even think we, about that. Yeah. Do we have a, a size of Phil Collins blue ball? I don't, I don't know think that we've ever brought that Bruford. up before. Did you <laughs> did you did you happen to catch I was I was actually on Instagram for a few moments today and I saw a couple of posts by Bill Bruford and they had one circa nineteen eighty four of him sitting behind that shitty ass Simmons kit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry um, to put you down that path, Jeff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I kind of you know. Alright. So one other thing. I, I wasn't really thinking about this before, but I kind of said it. I, I think that and you know, this is probably hard to pick. You know, today throughout all of my listening, you know, I was singing to a bunch of these. I was reveling in so many of these songs. But but Family Snapshot hit me over the head like a two by four and actually made me go back and listen to it a second time when I was done. Uh, done the album i I, i'm gonna submit that on all four of these albums that is and let's just say you know your best song whether it's not the 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 best one of the band it's not the the favorite of all time but you know these four albums your best song i'm going family snapshot cul-de-sac oh god we have to pick a favorite song your best song on these four uh, that's you don't very, that's, have, actually you don't have to but it's just ooh, can i pick my favorite song from the album i threw away Yes. Because <laughs> I'll feel like I didn't hurt Peter Gabriel as badly if I can do that. I'm sure oh. he's reeling. Okay. He will <laughs> be when he hears. <laughs> I'm sorry. Games Without Frontiers is just so classic, so radio-friendly. It works so well in his live shows. The audience just loves it. Uh, that was actually the song I was going to choose as well, Ken. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Even though we're at opposite ends of the spectrum as far as uh, best and worst, uh, uh, Games Without Frontiers, um, I, I have to say that would be my, my favorite song. There's some agreement. Okay. Can can we just make the obvious point, and, and I know other podcasts have mentioned it, and if and when we ever get to talking about Peter Gabriel solo albums, we will mention it. But it, it's so obvious and so strikingly different that I just, I feel obligated. We're talking about a, a groundbreaking album that was made entirely on purpose without any sort of symbols. Mm. Just want to put that out there. Love it. I, I yes. mean, that is, talk about balls. That's ballsy. And, and I'll tell you this, it's quite a contrast after listening to drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fun. Paul, excellent suggestion. Uh, this has really yeah. provided us some some intriguing discussion. And and as we mentioned, we have some process improvements perhaps for for next time we do this. So we'll we'll uh, do maybe a little research into weighted grading scales and figure out how best to differentiate <laughs> 
these because apparently we all have too much time on our hands. <laughs> I guess we do. It's crazy. But I, yeah, we should at some point force rank the the sci-fi babes too. I mean, was that is that not politically correct? Or, that's, mean, it's it's probably not correct, but it will certainly get us a lot of hits on Instagram. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! For me, just to sort of sum this up, if you were to ask me, Paul, if I could live on a desert island with these four albums and a very large can of spam, I think I could definitely do that. I'm I I agree. <laughs> Agreed. And it got me thinking. You know, 1980, obviously you know, a, a turn of the decade, so to speak. And, and obviously with, you know, and, and I think we, we had this conversation recently, um, probably in the Pink Floyd segment. Uh, do I recall that, or maybe I just talked about 1970 because most of us were born then, but I, I recall 1970 had a whole bunch of, of solid albums as well that we talked about that recently. So I, I got to thinking like, you know, what would, in the absence of, of the, the pandemic, what would 2020 have brought us? You know, it would, is someone going to look back in, in 20 or 30 years and go, wow, 2020, man, the albums that came out that year were stunning. I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything that's, that's new and relevant right now. So I have no idea. I spend all my time listening to 30 year old music for the podcast. It's true. I'm assuming our prog contemporaries are writing their asses off right now, and they're going to have shit out by October, November. We could have a very, it might actually be 2021 that uh, everybody's looking back on going, wow, you're right, Ken. I, uh, I hope that's the case. That could be. So any other thoughts on our, our 1980 best of prog Thoughts, episodes? There's there's actually just one thing that, that um I think I was I, I don't know if it was Simon Barrow's uh, Facebook or Instagram page or Twitter account or or whatever, but I read it I read a thing about how someone had commented this was sometime last week about you know the old thing about John Anderson using words not just because of what they meant, uh, and sometimes not even for what they meant, but just how they sounded or how they fit together. And one of the things that struck me today when I was listening to Permanent Ways is that Neil Peart manages to do both in Permanent Ways. He constructs lyrics on this record that not only are profound, but also sound really good in in the record the way they are. And he uses a lot of alliteration, so you know, there's that. But but it, you know, it's sort of that that compound effect, right? I, I just hit me today and wanted to get it out there before we end. That's, that's a really good point. And, you know, I've, I, I recall, was it, was it vapor trails where we got trapped in the modem thing and he kind of jumped the shark lyrically. And then kind of after that, his lyrics were fairly mundane, but test, test for echo. Oh, test for echo. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, but, but in this in this stretch, I mean, Neil has some real shining moments as mm. a lyricist. Where, like you said, Paul, he's able to he, he's able to sort of do both and communicate his his message very clearly, but in a way that's not you know mundane. And 
and he's able to pull off some some really good structures, which you know, I, it just it always I was always sort of confounded by when he went so basic later on in his mm. his lyricist career. So, but but here I agree. I think you know, it's it's there are some really beautiful sets of lyrics here. <sighs> are we winding down this puppy here? I think that we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, 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 I just have one really big uh, bit of advice for all our uh, friends of the Palaver out there. Um, it took 19 weeks for Jesse's Girl to get to number one, one of the slowest climbs ever in the industry. So persistence, payola, maybe a play on the general hospital soap opera, whatever it takes in this yeah. world, just go for it. Nice, Kenny G. And I think it, it stayed there for two weeks, I want to say. I distinctly remember being with my cousins in the summer listening to Casey Kasem talk about Jesse's Girl. All right. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? We all set for our, our long sojourn on the uh, desert island? Yeah. Have our, we're all set. Have our ideas on how we're going to prepare spam, like cooking it on a hot rock or something. I don't know. We'll figure it Something out. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, I uh, I do as always thank you for your time. This was uh, this, this was a fun one. I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we have this sort of extra bonus time to to do these weird things and and to talk a little bit, not much, but talk a little bit about albums like Peter Gabriel Three, which we have not gotten to, and, and you know, at our current pace, like I said, it'll be 2023 maybe by the time we get there. So uh, that'll be cool. Looking forward to that. And uh, we'll be back into it with our regular, our regular work schedule on Tuesday. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Have yourselves a great evening. enjoyed this bonus episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we invite and solicit your thoughts comments feedback and questions what are your thoughts on these four albums is there a winner what's your favorite song and how would you prepare your spam let us know all of these answers and thoughts on uh Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can find us on at ProgPala on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email your thoughts. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, at some undetermined point in the future, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So, until next time, thanks for listening. Gee, that's a pretty wide topic there. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, Tom, your face was priceless.
the gods telling us we have no right to speak for 76 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>